I would like to invite everyone to open their Bibles to the book of Matthew. We are going to continue our journey in the Sermon on the Mount with Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. I think we're all familiar with the term uh, crocodile tears, right? Uh, So if you're not, crocodile tears doesn't refer to a crocodile crying. Rather, it it refers to someone who's fake crying, who's who's crying, but they're not really upset. Uh, And so if you've been around any kids for any amount of time at all, uh, then you know about crocodile tears. Uh, crocodiles, crocodile tears happen when they don't want to take a nap, which will never make sense to me. I, why cry to take a nap? Uh, they don't want to take a nap or they don't want to eat a, a certain kind of food or when they have their diapers changed, right? Crocodile tears happen all the time for multiple things, multiple times a day. Willa is an expert at crocodile tears. She, she knows about crocodile tears. Uh, and usually when kids have crocodile tears, they just act upset. I mean, but Willa, like, she will actually, like, produce tears. Like, she will, like, actually cry. But I know that they're crocodile tears. Uh, but here's the thing about Willa and her crocodile tears. In, in one instant, she's completely upset until she gets what she wants. And in a complete instant, she's totally fine. In one moment, it's like the world is falling apart, and in the next instant, it's like nothing ever happened. It's like, oh, I was upset, I don't remember that. Uh, and in fact, it's kind of scary how quickly she can switch from like totally distraught to completely cute. It's really kind of strange how that happens. It's like she knows how to work it, you know what I mean? Like, it's like she gets crocodile tears, and we try to comfort her, and then she acts all cute. She knows, she knows what she's doing. But so long as we give her what she wants to calm her down, she starts to learn that crocodile tears work. Right? So if every time we reward her for just acting as if she's upset, she starts to learn that that's how things work. She doesn't have to be genuine to get what she wants. That's what Jesus is warning us about here. He's warning us about Acting. About acting. In fact, the Greek word here in ancient Greek, our, our word for hypocrisy comes from an ancient, the ancient Greek word that actually meant acting. That's what hypocrite comes from. It's, it's about putting on a show. It's, it's not who you really are in your heart. And it's not just kids. It's everybody. You included. Remember last week, we just closed chapter 5 last week. Jesus said at the very end, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we learn that when Jesus says that, he's talking about both a perfect righteousness and a wholesome righteousness. So to be the same person on the outside as you are on the inside. So it makes sense It makes sense at this point why he would transition to that exact topic right here. To be the same person on the inside as you appear to be on the outside. No crocodile tears. No play acting. But being 
wholeheartedly and unashamedly genuine. So let's dive into the text and let's hear what Jesus says about what I call kingdom piety. Wholehearted, unabashed, unquestionable genuineness. So let's look at the text in chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So first, give with wholehearted generosity. Give with wholehearted generosity. Jesus opens up this section of the sermon, of his sermon, with a warning in in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Introductions are really important, right? They, They grab your attention and they lay the foundation of what is coming up. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. From the get-go, Jesus is warning his people about practicing righteousness to be seen by other people. Right? It's, it's, he's warning against doing things so that people can see you and adore you. That's hypocrisy. And even though Jesus is warning specifically about a hypocrisy that seeks the attention and adoration of other people, We need to heed the core warning of simply putting on a show. Whether it's done before God or before others, the core warning of this is that we simply just put on a show with our religious acts. And Jesus goes into three different areas of 
religion, especially uh, key areas of Jewish religion, which we'll get into as we go along. But these are also key Christian, Christian practices as well. So it's not just for Jews only, it's for Christians. Jesus assumes that his followers are going to actually do these. Because what does he say? When you give, when you pray, when you fast. So not if, but when. So Jesus is assuming that his followers are going to do this. And the first thing that Jesus starts with when he's talking about hypocrisy and putting on a show is giving. He says uh, this in verse 2, Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Uh, in Jewish culture, giving was actually a very public event, right? So uh, a lot of things happened in the temple. So, so you'll probably remember, though, where Jesus is sitting in the temple, and what is he doing? He's watching people give. And he sees this poor old widow give two copper pennies. So, so in Jewish culture, especially in the temple, giving is a public thing. You give and other people see you do it. In fact, the trumpet that, that sounds actually could have been a call to go to the temple to give. It's the, the time of giving, the hour of giving. So there would have been a lot of opportunity for other people to see you give. Might compare it to when we pass out an offering plate, right? You're careful to do it so that other people can see you put in your check or put in your money. And so the problem wasn't with the practice of giving or where the giving was happening. The problem was it being what it was being used for to impress other people, to be seen by other people. So Jesus is warning against doing your giving to be seen by other people. You might trick yourself into thinking you're being genuine, but when you put that check into the offering plate or you put that money into the tithe bucket, deep down you hope somebody sees you. And you want people to either tell you or think about you, what a great guy. What a good Christian. Or maybe you don't want people to see you give. Maybe you just care they know how much you give. In either case, you want something in return for your giving. You want want praise. You want to be seen. You want adoration. You want respect. You expect respect. Because I, I give all this money to the church. That happens a lot in churches. That's the case, Jesus says, you have received your reward. But it's like a man dying of thirst on a raft in the ocean. Sure, he can drink salt water, but it's just going to make him more thirsty. person looking for the praise of man, a person searching for adoration from men, is someone who is dying of thirst and just drinking salt water. The satisfaction is over as soon as it starts, and in the end, you just end up craving more. So Jesus, what Jesus does is he he offers a counterexample. Verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. 
obviously, your hands aren't sentient, right? They're not self-aware. My right hand is not aware of what my left hand is doing. If they were, they can see each other pretty much all the time. They're good friends, right? So that's not Jesus' point, but Jesus' exhortation is simply that you do your giving in such a way that even you don't have the chance to pat yourself on the back. Do your giving in such a way that you can't even praise yourself. Let your giving be wholehearted and genuine. Don't be like the guy in, in Proverbs 23. Solomon says, Do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies. For he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. That's the thing about hypocritical giving. It thinks about the cost. It it always thinks about how frequent or how much. But the question isn't how frequent or how much. The question is, is who? Who you're giving is, is to. Jesus says in verse 4, And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Our giving is generous because it is a response to our generous Father. How much, how frequently should I give? As much as in response to the generosity of your Father, which is free and genuine. My mom is incredibly generous. Generous. My mom is incredibly generous. She's given me so much more than I could ever repay her in multiple lifetimes. And so my goal isn't to try to repay her, right? My goal isn't try to try to repay her for her helping me get through college and seminary, right? The, I'm not, my goal isn't to repay her. My goal is, isn't to get more from her. My goal is simply to love my mom and to be generous towards her and be generous because of her. How much more with God? How much more with God? Who, I mean, who, who can calculate how much God has done for you. And just the ways that we can see to to create a, a gorgeous earth for you to live in. God made the feel of crisp fall air to feel exactly as it does on human skin because it feels good. He imagined that. He designed that. So that you could live in in this world to give you the family that you had or, or the family that you now have to give you your your talents and your skills and personality and your abilities to provide for you everything that you own and work for and and even doing all of that and 10,000 other things while you were still sinning against him that he would even give his god the god sons the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for you. God is over the top, freely, hold nothing back, generous. So our giving is in response to a God of wholehearted generosity. God is not tight-fisted. He's not stingy. He loves to give. He is generous. 
and our giving is a response to Him. We give generously in response to Him and for Him alone. We give, we give with wholehearted generosity. So the next practice that Jesus talks about is actually probably the one that we have the most opportunity to be hypocritical. And that's prayer. So our second point is pray with unabashed honesty. Pray with unabashed honesty. Jesus, in his his teaching on prayer here, he uses two groups as an example. And the first is from his own Jewish culture. So he says, verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Have you guys ever heard of a, a preaching voice? It's it's where uh, when a guy preaches, his preaching voice sounds noticeably different from his like regular speaking voice. Um, obviously, like I I preach a little bit differently than I speak. I don't always speak like this, but it's noticeable. It's a noticeable difference. So uh, when I was twenty one, I had this opportunity to preach at this church, uh, and uh, my try, I wanted to be exactly like one of my favorite preachers, David Platt, uh, and so. Not just like try to preach the way that he preaches, but to speak in the way that he speaks. So what I did is I get up here with this like material uh, and like I try to be like as theologically deep as him and all this kind of stuff. And then to like wrap it all together, I use his voice and his inflections and his pauses and everything. So I don't know if you ever listened to David Platt, but uh, he, he talks like this. It's very serious. So I preach like that the whole time. And my mom, uh, it's just talking about how generous she is, right? You know, you expect your mom like, oh, you did so great, honey. You did so well. I'm so proud of you. She asked me, were you nervous? I wasn't. I wasn't at all. And so I, I really learned because that was like my worst sermon ever. But like a preaching voice, we can have a praying voice. Right? We can... We can change the way we talk, but we also try to use these big, fancy words or we try to pray with increased fervency so that other people will notice what a good preacher, what a good prayer. And so like giving, praying in Jewish culture was a public event too. It happened in the temple and it happened like Jesus says in the synagogues and on street corners. And in the church, there's many opportunities where we pray publicly and where we pray in in front of uh, each other. And so the danger isn't the public part. Like Jesus isn't condemning doing this in public. The danger is that we pray to be seen by others. Or maybe it's, it's as simple as we're praying, but we're not focusing on God. We're focusing on everybody else in the room. The reward is the same. Empty nothing that you get. That same empty nothingness of praise from men if you pray to be seen. Praise of man is a worthless reward. But Jesus says instead, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
goal is to be the same person praying in public as you are praying in private. And genuine public praying can only happen when there is genuine private praying. Genuine praying in front of other people only happens when there is genuine praying in private. So get alone with God. Get alone with God. Orient your heart to Him in private where only He can see you. J.C. Ryle, a 19th century bishop in Britain, said this, we should endeavor to find some place where no mortal eye sees us and where we can pour out our hearts with the feeling that no one is looking at us but God. So, we should get alone with God, but we should not only get alone with God, but we need to be real with Him. Jesus continues, verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So Jesus is referencing another group besides His own Jewish culture, the, the pagan Gentiles. And Gentiles, in order to get the gods, their gods, to answer them, they had to manipulate them. So not manipulate as in deceive them, although that was certainly happening, but manipulate as in coax them into action. So Baal, right? Even in, even in uh, Jewish history, they worship Baal, right? And Baal is the god of, of life and fertility. So not only with childbearing, right? If, if we want to bear children, we have to keep Baal happy, but with crops too. So he's He's the God of of life and and fertility. And so in order to get Baal to do what you want him to do, you have to do what Baal likes. Fertility stuff. That's why you have uh, prostitutes in the temple. Because it wasn't just about the pleasure of sex. It was about getting Baal to doing what Baal likes to get Baal to do what you want him to do. That's what these ancient pagan Gentiles do. And and let me just say, sex is not a bad thing. Sex is a really good thing that we can talk about in its proper context. So what Jesus is saying here, though, is that you don't have to manipulate God. You don't have to use these trumped up phrases or words or do anything to coax God into action. You don't have to coax him or perform a deed for him for him to listen to you because we don't pray to get God to act. We pray based on the fact that he is the God who acts. God is already ready to act. He is the God whose ear is already listening before you even start praying. He's the God who knows what you're going to say. Before you say it, he's the God who knows what you need before you ever ask for it. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Our giving is in response to a generous God, and our prayer is a response to a listening God. A God who sees you and knows you, who sees the deepest recesses of your heart and knows your deepest needs. 
college, I once prayed in a group, and, and this girl came to this girl's turn to pray. And we were all kind of like sitting in chairs or kind of sitting on the floor. But when it was her turn to pray, she got on her knees uh, on the floor, and she prayed with her face on the floor, and, and she's praying with all this fervency. And I, I when, when we were done, I was walking away with a friend, and my friend told me, he said, I wish that I could pray like that. I wish I had like a prayer life like that. I, said, I told him, you don't have to have a prayer life like that. You can pray exactly as you are to God. Yes, we want fervency in prayer, but we don't want to fake fervency. So, you don't have to come to God with a mask on, pretending to be someone you're not, or pretending to feel something that you don't. You can come to God exactly as you are. Fervent or not fervent. Guilty or excited. Sinful or obedient. We confess our sins and we confess our shortcomings and our lack freely to Him and He's honored by that. He's honored by that. You can go to God in prayer and say, God, I don't feel like praying. So rather than praying to be seen or praying to try to coax God, we pray genuinely and we pray simply. We pray simply. The Lord's Prayer, what what Jesus offers next here is, is so simple. It's such a simple prayer. There's no big words or long-windedness. It's a simple prayer offered in in simple faith. And I I would love to dive into it this week, but I'm actually going to, next week, I'm going to preach on the Lord's Prayer, give it its own um, sermon. But the whole point is to pray with honesty and simplicity. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray with unabashed honesty. Come to God as you are, where you are. Finally, fast with unquestionable cheerfulness. Unquestionable cheerfulness. Yes, fasting is expected of the Christian. Fasting is an essential part of being a healthy Christian. And there's no set way to fast. You can fast from one meal or many meals. You can fast one day or many days. You can fast from food or you can fast from other things like TV or social media or anything like that. Regardless, Jesus expects his followers to fast. And the main way to fast, yes, I'd say the main way and probably the most beneficial way to fast is from food and drink. And so Jesus says about fasting in verse 16, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The thing about fasting is that it actually is hard to do without somebody else knowing. I mean, sooner or later, 
you're going to have to tell your spouse, your husband, your wife, or your friend, I can't have lunch, I can't do dinner, because I'm fasting. Otherwise, you lie to them, right? So, so eventually, it's going to come out. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong. Jesus isn't saying, like, never tell anyone ever that you're fasting or, or you've completely destroyed yourself. He's not saying that. But we must be careful that we aren't doing it to get praise from others. That we're trying our best to keep it between us and God. That's the thing about all these practices. Giving uh, and praying and fasting is that it is, in all of these things, there's an audience of one. There's an audience of one. When you give, you give before one. When you pray, you pray to one. When you fast, you fast unto one. doesn't matter if other people see you or other people hear you. The only thing that matters is that you're doing this before God. And actually, fasting is hard. I don't know if you've ever fasted before, but it's it's hard. It's hard not to be gloomy when you fast. Have you guys ever heard of the word hangry? Right? It's a combination of the words hungry and angry. And you become hangry when you're angry because you're hungry. So you're hangry. I, I experience hangry a lot. It happens to me a lot. Chronic. I suffer from chronic hangry. Uh, instead, instead, Jesus says, when you fast, verse 17, anoint your head. Wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says, when you fast, clean yourself up and basically be happy. Be happy. Let your face shine. But the point is, don't let the outward expression substitute what's supposed to be the inward reality. So as an example, we wear nice clothes to church, right? That practice started out of reverence for God. We're being reverent to God, so we wear our nice clothes. But but it has become less about reverence for God and more about just wearing the nice clothes. The nice clothes end up becoming more important than the reverence itself. Or, or an example for me, learning Greek and Hebrew in seminary, right? They teach you these things to help you know God better, but what they can do is easily become a way to pr- promote myself and how smart I am. So fasting, we are not supposed to substitute this outward expression for the inward reality. So that means an unquestionable cheerfulness. That doesn't mean there won't be mourning or humility associated with fasting. In fact, mourning more often than not is about, or fasting more often than not is about mourning over sin, right? Often when we fast, it's, it's over repentance of sin in our lives that we're repenting of and we're fasting over it. But we can be cheerful even in this because we have hope. We have hope of of grace and of mercy and of forgiveness and of God acting and of God being generous to us. We have hope. So we fast with 
and unquestionable cheerfulness. Let your outward expression be in line with the inward reality. The question that you need to ask yourself is, what is my goal in these things? Is it to be praised by others? Is it to receive some kind of respect or reward or or adoration? Because our goal isn't any of those things. Our goal is to get God himself. Our goal in giving is to get more of God. Our goal in praying is to get more of God. Our goal in fasting is to get more of God. God is the reward. These things, giving and praying and fasting, are what we call means of grace. Means of grace. Not in the means of obtaining grace, right? So, oh, no, I sin. I need grace, so I'm going to fast to get more grace to be forgiven. No, not like that. Because grace only comes through faith in Christ. Fasting or not, right? No, they're means of grace by, because they're means of growing in grace. So we give and we pray and we fast to grow in grace. And what these are all about is obscurity. So the question you need to ask yourself also is, am I okay with obscurity? Am I okay with going unnoticed and unappreciated, unrespected? Jesus lived this per- perfectly. When we went through Mark Crowds had to look for Jesus. When when people want to make us king, what do we do? We're like, yeah, this is great. What a great opportunity to, to change the world for good. But Jesus rejected being king and instead went to the cross. He's practiced and lived perfectly what he preached. Jesus lived in obscurity. He's our substitute. He died in our place. Right? He died for your hypocrisy. If you're sitting in your seat thinking you're not guilty of these things, let me break the truth for you. You are. All of us are hypocrites to some degree. And Jesus, the most non-hypocritical, the most wholesome, the most wholehearted person that ever lived, died for us hypocrites. So he's he's your substitute, but he's also your example. Let's follow his example of what it means to live unashamedly, unabashedly, genuine before God, whether adoration or respect or whatever comes or not. In fact, trying to avoid those things, trying to avoid the spotlight, trying to avoid being seen, trying to avoid adoration and reward and respect but only seeking the reward that comes from God. Let's follow Jesus' example. And none of this matters if you have not truly repented of your sin and put your trust in Christ. 
None of this matters. You can't give or pray or fast truly if you are not in Christ. Repent today if you have not. So, giving, praying, fasting, means of grace, that we might grow in grace, that we might be wholehearted, wholesome followers of Christ before our Father, exactly as we are. So we we go in grace, and we grow in grace by these means of grace. Give with wholehearted generosity. Pray with unabashed honesty. And fast with unquestionable cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father God, I come, we come to you as we are. There's a lot that's happening in our hearts. God, a lot that we can't see. So, Father, instead of trying to hide from you, we we turn to you and we say, yeah, God, we are hypocrites. We want respect. We want the praise of man. We want to hide our, our sinfulness and the nastiness of our hearts from you. We want to act like it's not that big of a deal. We want to try to cover it up. But, God, before you, we, we lay down bitterness. We've been bitter, Lord. We lay down anger. We've been angry. We lay down prayerlessness, Lord. We have not felt like praying or prayed as we should. We lay down our stinginess, God. We are not generous as we ought to be. Lord, we're hypocrites. We try to save face and act like somebody we're not. We lay down our our gossip and our slander, our unbelief, our self-righteousness and our pride, Lord. We we lay all of these things at your feet, knowing that you are a generous, giving, gracious God who redeems sinners. And so we come as we are to you, whether that's from a place of, of of adoration and praise, Lord, our hearts are filled, or maybe it's a place of emptiness and brokenness and confusion and mourning. We come to you in all of these ways and lay them down at your feet, knowing that we can do this because you are good. You are already good. We don't have to convince you to be good to us. You are already good. You are gracious. You are compassionate. You are full of mercy. You are these things right now. And we are assured of that because you gave everything that we need in your son Jesus. So Lord, as we rest in him as our substitute, as we place our faith in him anew as the one who died for us, as it's the one who lives again, Lord, we also look to him as our example Make us more and more and more like Christ. And that doesn't just mean living a moral and holy life. Although, yes, that's what that means. It also means living genuinely, living in secret, living in obscurity, 
being the same person wherever we are and whoever is in front of us. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.